So, how's the new year going for you so far? The turn of the calendar is, for many people, an occasion to reflect on where you've been and where you're headed, to take stock of what you're carrying, what it's time to let go of, and what to keep, and maybe to turn a fresh eye or open heart toward what you want to live into. Some folks are big into making New Year's resolutions. I am not among them, so this episode isn't about that. Instead, you're invited to listen in on a living room conversation among friends. You're about to hear an exchange among the members of the Milkweed Group. Currently, that's Kelsey Maddox, Colleen Peterson, Kelly Shu, and me, Chris Johnson. Technically, the Milkweed Group is a single-member LLC. On paper, I'm the group, but as a team, we get together every week or two or three to encourage in each other's lives Milkweed's mission to create safe, courageous spaces that nourish inner wisdom, sharpen clarity of purpose, and fuel capacity to live and lead for the sake of a better world. We made use of our regular gathering between the Christmas and New Year's holidays to do a check-in with one another about our lives, about how things have been going with the podcast, and in particular about what's been sparking for us since our very first episode back in the fall around trying something new. So this is a bit of a sequel to that conversation. Thanks for being back. As you'll hear, the opening question is about what has been sparking since that fall episode, and the conversation just flowed from there. The part of our conversation that evening that you'll hear now is the part for which the record button happened to be pressed, but it is typical of how we always are together. Unscripted, open, authentic, vulnerable, profoundly present with each other in ways that are different from the conventional interactions that comprise the bulk of our days, fueled by big questions around things that matter, and by deep, receptive listening. We wonder with each other, what makes the difference between change that we experience as loss to be grieved, or as possibility to be embraced as an adventure. What do we make of the liminal space or the space between an invitation to change and the decision about whether and how to respond to that invitation? How can we practice being who we are and are becoming? I'm Chris Johnson, and this is Pause purpose, possibility. Welcome to the new year, and welcome to the conversation. Hi, this is Chris, and Kelly, and and Colleen, I'm Kelsey, and we're the Milkweed Group, and we're coming to you again from my living room here in Minneapolis. One of the cats is perched on the arm of the chair as well. And we're returning to a conversation we started back in November when we launched Pause, Purpose, Possibility, this new podcast. Uh, And that first episode was about trying new things. And we uh, have continued to have conversations among us about what that has sparked in us since then. And so this is a bit of a sequel episode. And Kelsey, you uh, have said to us, even recently, that things have sparked for you around trying something new. 
So why don't you get us started for this conversation? Yeah, thank you. Um, so ever since this, the first conversation we had, there's been a thread of trying new things in my life that I, I, it's just sparking all around me. I'm just noticing, noticing new things, new things that, um, whether it's in a conscious choice, like to try a different flavor of something, something fairly benign, or um, a conscious choice to start a new friendship, or to speak to a friend or my spouse or my children in a different way, um, it's always sparking. And I think what I'm noticing is that there, there is that aspect of trying something new that is um, a choice that you have. And there's also newness as an invitation. So newness presenting itself to you as, as um, something that is available. It's an offering. It's an invitation. And along with that, sometimes the offering is unwelcome or is not something that we want for ourselves or isn't attuned to our authenticity. And other times it may not feel that way, but the outcome attunes us to ourselves. And still other times um, the again, it's more of a um, something we have control over, like a choice we make. Still other times the invitation is most welcome to try something new. So I'm, I am very curious for the rest of you, um, if since we recorded back in November, if you have tried something new or had any of these sparks come to you um, and where they might land in that those sort of categories I've laid out, if you want to go roll with me on that, um, of it being some, something that is disfavored but perhaps becomes authentic or something that is really welcome. I'll start with that. I think um, one thing that has been sparking is conversation about trying something new. Mm. So this podcast, as I've been sharing it with people and they've been listening maybe to that first episode the invitation at the end of the episode, the practice to try something new that's that could be very simple and benign and not have any impact on the outcome of your life, such as brushing your teeth with the other hand, <laughs> trying something new in a small way. That has, I feel like, has had the biggest... Um, I've noticed it the most in the last month because I think it's the easiest to to step into trying something new doing something very benign. So my stepdad, for example, had shared just on Christmas Eve when we were with him that he started tying his shoe the opposite way and it makes a nicer bow on his <laughs> shoelace because if you tie it a certain way, the bow is kind of floppy or like lopsided. But if you tie it backwards or for backwards for him, it would make like a very beautiful bow. And I'm sure there's an analogy there about how trying something new can lead to something more beautiful, you know. Um, but yeah, I think what sparked for me is almost the, the, the simple and playful, maybe childlike part of not getting so wrapped up in trying something huge or life changing that's new, but starting small. And that feels very tangible and easy. And I kind of wonder if that is a snowball, could be a snowball effect in some people's lives of like, okay, 
taking these little steps and seeing what else sparks. Um, Like fortifying or courage building, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, and seeing what it sparks in other people when they see Mm. you trying something new and fun and then they want to. And I think that domino effect is interesting, too, when people close to you see that and they want to talk about it, and they want to share their experiences of trying something new. You're reminding me of this sort of um, maybe a liminal space with trying something new. Um, Can you say that phrase again? A, a liminal space. Liminal space, okay. Yeah. Um, if you're listening and you don't know what a liminal space is, it's like the space between two things. Oftentimes there's a sense of like, um, it has a connotation of something sacred. Like, for example, we say on Halloween or All Hallows' Eve that it's a liminal space. It's this, this, the veil, the space between heaven and earth gets thinner. Um, so it's a space between. Some folks believe that. Um, but the idea of liminal is the in-between space. So my spouse, on his job has recently had an offering of a new thing that is kind of in between his own decision and not his decision. Mm -hmm. And this is, um, the choice is that he works with people who don't speak English at the moment, but is very intrigued by the Spanish language himself and has started Duolingo and, (laughs) and is, and is, um, blissfully meandering around our house, rolling his R's and, uh, <laughs> and, you know, does, ha, knows a lot of cuisine, um, in Spanish, but it's been delightful to be alongside him. He didn't have to choose to learn Spanish, but he, um, nor, nor was it forced upon him, but it's certainly, he's in a situation where the choice is available. So the offering was made, right, to try something new. And he's, and, and he's really enjoying it. And our kids have learned a little Spanish, and so they're correcting him. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I have a little bit of fluency in it myself, so we're having different conversations. So there is that, there is a liminal space between sometimes. I know I had said, like, um... a a new beginning could be this or that, but there is kind of an in-between space of like, um, he, he chose it and it, and it offered it to him. It offered itself to him. Any, any other thoughts on liminal new beginnings or um since our last recording it's occurring to me that the liminal space or the in between what has been what's been comfortable uh what i the what's known on the one hand and the new the uncertain uh the foggy cloudy horizon can be uh, people can experience that space in between in very different ways. Sometimes it's incredibly frightening, terrifying, uh, and there's a sense of loss. That change equals loss is, is often the way it's framed. 
And other people sometimes, it seems, can embrace that between space in a very uh, adventuresome way, uh, that this, uh, the unknown is exciting, that there's, that there is adventure, that there's possibility out around the corner or over the horizon. And uh, I kind of wonder what, what makes the difference between experiencing change as loss that needs to be grieved or mourned and experience, experiencing change as the opening of possibility. Do you, do, you, do you have a sense of what goes into experiencing it as one or the other? Often maybe a mix of both, but uh, what can help to tip the balance, would you say, in favor of experiencing change as opening and possibility rather than loss, to be grieved. I think in, in my experience or observation, I think, I think it, it can be really tied to the things we feel like we have control over. Hmm. Um, I have a aging, an aging relative who has really declined physically, um, in the last couple of years and especially the last couple of months. And I think, yeah, I think for for her and also for relatives, like, I don't know, we all know we, every human will die, but we don't, I don't know, the, the rate in which we, our health declines and we need more help uh, isn't predictable a lot of the time. And, and I think it can cause a lot of suffering, just people who will resist they don't like how fast the change happened or even just the adjustment to needing more help can be really uncomfortable. Um, I think too about, I've changed jobs a lot in my life and in the last year I had a job where the company bought out the company I was working for and I moved over to the new company, which I had a choice to leave and find a new job, but I didn't. And it has led me to be very unhappy. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's probably not all the time, but I think our sense of control can, I think that does play a role in how we maybe view change happening, um, whether we see it as a loss or a possibility. I think too, maybe it can be seen as a loss until until we get to a point of accepting the change. Like maybe uh, I've known people that get divorced in the last couple of years. And I think, yeah, there's grieving or anger or sadness. And once there's a point of acceptance, then, yeah, I don't know. Then maybe there's an opening for, I don't know, possibility. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I think in some ways um, loss and gain are two sides of the same thing. Mm. And that might be grossly optimistic. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but I will say in losing a parent, I do remember a time when I kind of saw uh, the loss of my dad um, it was tender and fragile and unwelcome, 
but in that space, I, I had this picture of my life as a pie graph and there being a dad triangle and the dad triangle like disappeared. And in that space, it was just empty mm-hmm. and open. Mm. And sure, emptiness could feel lonely and scary and not wanted, not gain, certainly not gain. But the longer I sat with it and accepted that this loss was happening, the more it felt like possibility and gain. And like, what's going to fill the space that was occupied by dad, whether that was like logistically (laughs) um, or in my own heart? Like, what's will come in there and and sitting with that possibility was actually really magical (laughs) Mm. it became a really it still is like because I nothing will I'm not saying that my dad is replaceable but like the way my my that part of myself that was occupied by caring for him now there's possibility for something new and I don't know what that is. And that, that, that uncertainty can be wretched scary, but it can also be take me to wonderful places in my imagination. Of, like, what could be? I heard both of you say, Colleen and Kelsey, and each of you were sharing, I heard both of you kind of mention that there's this time. And, and this mm-hmm. has to do with that in-between, but there is a, a mm-hmm. timeline that almost has to be time has to pass and it's different in every situation and probably different for every person. But there's like a process of whether it's acknowledging the emptiness or grieving the emptiness of what that change was or just knowing that you want to do something, but you're still working towards that. And there's this period of time that in between, you don't know how long it's going to be almost, which is uncomfortable. So I'm curious for both in each of your situations or maybe clean in your job change at how do you, how did you know, okay, I'm, I know I'm going to try this job change where the company is, you know, going to move in this new direction and I'm going to go with it. But at what point did you know, I've given this enough time to know that this is not right, that this <laughs> new thing that I'm trying needs to be put aside so that I can make room for other possibilities. There's a long list, I feel like, <laughs> of what helped me decide it's where I currently work is not not where I want to stay. I, I, I think coming to that decision really can be different for everyone. I think for me, I don't know, for, for me, a big part of my, my how I want to spend my time and energy, it has to, it can't conflict with my values and morals and uh and so as soon as I moved over to this new company and started realizing the way that this company operates and treats its employees and treats the people it serves this does not align with how I view this isn't in alignment with how I feel like people should be treated um it it became pretty clear to me, like, this is not a long-term, I don't know, or this is not a sustainable position for me. Um, 
but I, I don't know. I think for me, I was like, I don't want to, ch- I don't, I don't really want to choose change, even though it's happening to me. Mm. I, I think I felt like, well, I don't really have the bandwidth to figure out what else I'm going to do and find a completely new job. So I'll see how the adjustment goes and then go from there. And yeah, and then I've, I've realized I do need to move on. I agree, though. It's I think sometimes it takes time to navigate. How do we know when it is right to move on and to try something else? And sometimes it's really clear. Or sometimes it is because, oh, I heard about a new exciting opportunity, and sometimes it's this is a really toxic environment, and I need to leave. <laughs> so, that's, yeah, that's been my experience lately. Kelsey, in, in, in your situation, it was a little different. You were talking about the loss of your dad and feeling this empty part of the the tri- the pie, the mm-hmm. empty part of the, the pie. And for you, what did that look like as far as the the in-between where you were grieving and and did obviously didn't choose or want that to happen? How did you get to a point where you were saying, I, you look, you were looking back on it and almost like really joyful about what that gave you, that openness. And how did that, how did you come to realize that, or what, what did that look like that time between? Admittedly, it's still in process, but um, so akin to Colleen, I think um, there was a moment of reckoning with like, and maybe not a singular moment even, but kind of reckoning with the reality of like um the loss taking place and and um and sinking into the emptiness and then realizing but I you know there's still life here for me you know there's still life even in this emptiness there's still or this like void of grief there's still life and I I don't have maybe even in a logistical sense like I don't have to put my energy or attention on this thing that has really has really had me in its clutches and and um and realizing oh that opens up that opens up space for I think interestingly I couldn't get to that opening without being in the emptiness really and kind of the mystery of like well what now you know um my dad's no longer earthside you know what does this mean for my own life and how i spend my time and abilities and sort of like are a remnant of his love on the planet um and i don't say that from a point of responsibility but from a a place of, of, of beauty and care that like, you know, how am I moving through life in a way that is, um, that still holds some of who he is here. Um, so I think, I think the gauges were like kind of the reckoning and the acceptance and the kind of the light bulb moment of like, oh, oh, life's different now. And there is possibility, like just acknowledging that there was possibility, there was newness, even in a really dark, I couldn't, I couldn't like lean into what those new things could be, but I could recognize its presence. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's how you feel about your job too, Colleen was like, okay, 
I know, I know there's a newness. I don't know what it is. I'm looking online presently for what it is. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, but there is, and I think, I think that's both like, um, an invitation and an offering and a really beautiful part of life. And it's also a coping tool for that dark and empty space mm. because otherwise it's just dark and empty. I'm hearing a lot of uh, threads in this conversation, these stories that you're telling from personal experience that uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when I'm, one of the things I'm hearing is that it's about practicing what it is to be who I am in a continually unfolding way and without getting stuck in or, or bolted to a sense of what has been my identity uh, letting that continue to evolve and being open mm -hmm. to a, a, a living uh, asking, wondering, and openness to who am I becoming? Who do I want to be? And then mm -hmm. again, having some sort of realistic sense of what, how much choice do I have in that, or autonomy, mm -hmm. or agency, uh, exercising that as you're able. Uh, while also holding that intention with uh, sort of bowing to the realities of life as they present themselves to you. Mm -hmm. uh, but something about um, living into who am I, who have I been, who am I, and who am I becoming? And, and who, do I, who do I want to become? How do I want to show up? Uh, I'm embarrassed to say I don't remember now who to attribute this to. It might be Annie Dillard, the author, someone like that, someone way wiser than me, is supposed to have said at some point something like, how you spend your days is, in fact, how you spend your life. And in that respect, there there is something at stake each day in having some sense of owning or choosing how it is that you're going to respond to the, the, the gifts and the rigors that come at us each day, whether it's the loss of a parent or a spouse or a divorce or a job that goes sour or whatever it might be. Uh, underneath it all, practicing what it is to be who you are and, and who you can be. Uh, again, I'm forgetting who to attribute this to, but the story is told of the world-famous cellist Pablo Casals is supposed to have been asked at some point when he was well into his 90s. He's been world-renowned for decades, uh, sought after by orchestras and, and, and performing spaces all over the world. Uh, why is it world-famous, world-renowned cellist Pablo Casals? At this point in your life, well into your 90s, do you still practice the cello five, six, eight hours a day? And he is supposed to have said, I do that because at this point in my life, I am finally beginning to feel like I'm making progress. <laughs> I just always have loved that story. 
in terms of practicing being who you are does in fact take practice. Uh, and so I'm going to invite us to first, uh, let's just say to each other that we can reconvene at some point and continue this conversation down the road. But maybe unless there are other things that need to be tossed in at the moment, I'm looking around the room. Anybody? 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 Uh, I wonder if we could uh, wind this particular chapter of our conversation to a close by offering, as is our practice on pause, purpose, possibility. First, uh, is there a big question of the week that occurs to you that you'd want to offer in at this point? And then in the spirit of practicing being who you are and can become, do you have uh, invitations for folks who might be listening about a practice or action step to take with them, sparked by this, this conversation around trying something new? Big question and or practice. I have a practice to maybe toss out there that something you just said maybe think about, okay. and there might be others as well. Thanks, Kelly. Go for it. Yes. So one of the practices is you had asked a question about who are you becoming, that this is something we mm -hmm. could ask ourselves. It seems like an interesting question that we could practice asking others, <laughs> whether you're getting to know someone. Like you think about getting to know someone, yeah. and the question is always like, tell me about yourself. Who are you? And what do you do? And what do you do? And, yeah. you know, all that stuff. Maybe we could switch that out for, hi, who are you becoming? <laughs> awesome. Um, and maybe even for people in our lives. We think we know people so well sometimes that we live with our kids, our spouses, our best friends that we might see every day, our coworkers that we see every day. What a lovely question to ask these people that we think we know so well that who are you becoming? And I, I just, I wonder how people will react to that and what they'll come up with. And I'm sure it will spark things in our own brains about who we're becoming as well. So and that, who we perceive others are becoming versus maybe how they perceive themselves. Mm. For some folks, mm. that might be a jolting question. Yes. <laughs> it might be. So, yeah. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions or practices to offer, to invite. I just really dig the idea of liminal space. And as I've been riffing on this idea of trying new things, it occurs to me to offer up the practice or the question of, um, can I create a space between the invitation of something new in my life and the decision about it. Mm -hmm. So creating a little more space between, say, the invitation to learn Spanish and deciding if you want to. Mm -hmm. The invitation to try a new job and decide if you want to. The invitation to grief, decide if you want to mourn. The invitation to try a pickled vegetable and decide if you want to. Um, just creating, and what comes up in the space between. An image that's popping to mind as you invite us to 
dwell in or reflect on that liminal space between invitation and decision is the image of a candle flame. And it occurs to me that there is, it probably somebody has given it a name, but there's a, a space between the wick itself of a candle and the bright glowing yellow or white mm. flame, right? There's a, there's a gap between there. And, it, well, yeah, I'm curious now as to what that's called. Probably, again, somebody's given that a name. But for now, let's call that liminal space in a candle flame. And that image somehow is speaking to me around what you were just offering, Kelsey, between the space between invitation and decision, between wick and flame. Mm -hmm. So maybe a practice would be light a candle. And ask who you're becoming. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Any more? It's great to chat with you all, as always. Uh, Kelsey Maddox, Colleen Peterson, Kelly Shu, thank you. I'm Chris Johnson. This has been another episode of Pause, Purpose, Possibility. We're incredibly grateful that you chose to spend it with us and hope that you'll come back again next week. Good night. Be well. Since you've already heard from the team some ideas around how we usually end each episode, with a big question or two and a practice or action step to take with you, this time I'll leave you with a poem called To Love January by Davi Walters from the 2008 Women Artists Datebook, published by the Syracuse Cultural Workers. I clasp January to me, giddy with hope for its newborn cry that clears away the worn-out year like so much tinsel carted off to storage. I love January's uncluttered room, its freshly laundered calendar, innocent and white between a pure blue sky grazed by bone-clean trees. To love January is an acquired taste, like learning to let the tongue curl around the slow, sweet burn of Twaka's golden fire. I do not want to wait for April to fall in love, July to run with a salty sea, October to be crowned in color, I want to drink it all now, when everything is possible, and I and the world are infants again, babbling, listening for birdsong. I'm Chris Johnson. This is Pause, Purpose, Possibility. Thanks for being with us.